In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Happy fasting, everyone. So this week's Gospel is the last one before we start uh, the month of Kiech, right? And in the month of Kiech, we're going to switch to a, a, a new theme. It's going to be much more positive. The church right now, um, not as being negative, but the church is, is exhorting us um, to a life of, of holiness. Um, which is important for us to hear because often we're self-obsessed. So we said week one of this month of, ha of Hatur, right? The first and second weeks were about the seeds, right? <laughs> Throwing the seeds to be planted um, because it was, it was the time of, of planting in Egypt and that's why the church um, has that. And we said that the gospel was the word of God, which is the seed, and the hearts are the soil. And we talked about how to receive the word, how to prepare the, the soil. Um, last week, the readings told us Okay, hey, if, like, if you want this seed, um, you need to know what you're getting into, right? That's why it was about, have you calculated the cost? Do you know what it is to follow the gospel? Um, because it's not as easy as people think. People will mock you. You will, might even be at a disadvantage, might not be rich, um, and you're going to have to go through stuff. That was last week's um, message. This week challenges us a little bit further. Um, this week, the readings are telling us it's not going to cut it to just say that Christ is nice or that Christ is good. We're going to have to do more than that, right? That's why if you look at a, a selection of some of the readings from last night through today, right? In the Vespers Psalm, it was, I'll confess you, Lord, my God, with my whole heart, right? Not just the part of me that, that finds it convenient. And the gospel last night, there's a possessed person that the disciples couldn't cast out and the Lord is asked why. And he said, because of your unbelief. Um, he said, if you have faith, even like a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain, move from here and it will move. He's saying that if you take this faith seriously, there's a change that happens. It's not, um, it's not just a superficial thing. In the Pauline, right? St. Paul says, it's required as stewards of God that they be found faithful, right? Not to just say, yeah, I, I, I like this Christian thing, right? But that I have to be found faithful. And then he goes on to talk about how the apostles were made, because of their belief, a spectacle to the whole world, right? He says that they were mocked, they're tortured, they're being brought before emperors, before kings. And then he says that when he talks about what they did, but we'll come back to those verses later, actually. In the Catholic epistle, right, St. Peter, who is writing from prison, right, he's, he's suffering again. He says, His divine power has granted us all that we need to live in godliness, right? Immediately, there's, not, there's always a, a talk about how to live, right? Not just my profession of faith, but an emphasis on how we, we live. To become partakers of the divine natures, and he says, to add to faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and we're going to come back to those as well. In the Praxis, in the book of Acts, right? This story is based on the apostles preaching, and it causes an uproar, right? The people aren't excited to hear it. They're actually very upset because he's contradicting what they believe. And so there's a huge uproar and there's a demonstration, right? And the people are hauled into the middle of the city to the point where the prefect of the city has to physically intervene to protect <laughs> the apostles um, and to calm the people down because of this new message of the change that's supposed to happen, that they need to change how they're living. So let's zoom in on the gospel. So some guy, literally just some, some random person, comes up to Christ and says, Good teacher, what do I do? 
And it's clear that this person was sincere, right? He's saying, okay, like, this is all nice, but what do I do, right? And it was clear that he was sincere because it says that the Lord had love for him, right? It was somebody coming to just be sarcastic. The Lord wouldn't have given him um, as much attention or wouldn't have recorded that the Lord felt this um, affection towards him. But the guy is using an expression without meaning, without knowing what it implies, right? If I call something good, Right? If I'm gonna if I'm gonna say that this is a good thing, then it, it's necessitated that I actually act upon that good. Right? I can't just say, oh, that's a good idea, but I'm gonna do the opposite. Right? If I said it was a good idea, then I should do it because I called it good. Otherwise, why bother calling it good? Then just say that it's not a good idea, right? Or just say that it's something that doesn't make sense. And so our Lord makes this clear. He says, Why are you using this word? Don't you know that the only good thing is God? He says it to put things into context, right? And then to tell him, if it's the commandments you're looking for, well, they exist. But if you're actually saying that I'm good, right, then you need to take this a little bit more seriously. So the commandments are there. You have heard the gospel, right? He says, love your neighbor as yourself, and he, and he goes through some of the commandments. And the youth tells him, I've already done that, right? I've done that my whole life. So then the Lord diagnoses the problem for him. He says, here's your problem. You did them because it was comfortable, not because it was necessarily right. This was the reason why you did it. So if you want to be perfect, right? He didn't say you're a bad person for that, right? He didn't read out. In fact, it says that he loved him. But he's saying if you want to be perfect, if you actually want to do this the way that it was designed to do it, if you want to follow the gospel to the highest level, which is love, to actually be like God, deny yourself. Deny yourself for others. Because when you do things comfortably, it's not actually clear that you love somebody. If you have billions of dollars and you donate 100,000 here and there, that's certainly very nice of you. But you're not really feeling anything, right? Like it's, it's, it's just it's a tiny bit out of a lot. You, you gave out of your comfort, right? Versus, it's like more on our level, right? Like losing a nickel, Right when I have 20, 25 bucks in my pocket, I'm not gonna lose sleep over the nickel. I'm not even gonna possibly look for the nickel because it was comfortable, right? But if I give out of more than just what's comfortable, that's where the love is shown because I gave it of my need. That's why the Lord exalts in another gospel the 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 widow who gave the two the two mites, right? Because it was a tiny amount, but for her, it was a huge sacrifice that she gave. Our Lord, of course, is perfect love, right? He was proving that He doesn't just love comfortably, like He Himself. He's not saying to us, you should just um, go beyond your comfort zone and, and I'm going to sit here on my royal throne, right? As a matter of fact, He did the opposite. He didn't need to create and He did. He emptied Himself, took on the form of man, and allowed Himself to be murdered by His own people, right? So He wasn't loving comfortably, right? He came down and He really completely and fully and 100% gave Himself up. He literally laid down his life. Or as we say in the Tazbaha, right, one of my favorite verses that we say during the week, the uncircumscript, uncircumscript became circumscript. That means the uncontainable, okay, the one without perimeter, allowed himself to have a perimeter. Then he took on limitation, right? The bodiless was incarnate. The immortal died, right? This is what our Lord did. It's in the challenge of our belief 
that we find out if we are just saying something is good or if we believe that something is good. It's only when we are challenged. This young man claimed the Lord was a good teacher and he claimed he wanted advice. When he got advice, though, he didn't rejoice to hear the answer. He was sad. He was sad because he loved himself more than others. He loved himself more than the truth. And I'm not saying he's a bad person. We're all actually guilty of this, right? But the truth was that he loved himself more than everyone else. And that was why when he asked for advice and the Lord said, well, you need to give to other people, it says it brought him sorrow, right? It wasn't like, oh, thank you, that's great advice, right? And then just not do it. It actually upset him, right? To hear someone tell him that he needed to change something or that he needed to give. Our Lord says, looked at him and felt love towards him. He saw there was a genuine sincerity and a desire for something greater, but that his love for comfort and material was greater than his love for truth. And that's why in last week's gospel, our Lord said, didn't say don't love anything, right? But he said, but if you love them more, then you don't really love the truth. We often do the same thing. Sometimes the riches are not just material wealth, okay, but it's other things it might be status. I might love my status more than anything else, and so I'm not going to sacrifice anything that makes me compromise my status, even if it's something wrong that I do. It might be my prestige. It might be being in charge of a meeting or a service or a function, right, of saying that even though it's harming other people, it's harming myself or my spirituality or others, I don't want to be removed from this role, and so I'm going to fight tooth and nail for it. It might be the, being the star of the show, right? Whether it's being the, the popular one at school or in work, in music, in theater or service, you name it, but wanting to be that prominent person of saying, I need to maintain this role and I'm going to continue to do it. And so if someone were to tell me, you know what, this is harming you, you should stop, I won't do it because I'm, I'm too attached to this. This is my, my riches. It might be the one who gives everyone advice and don't want to stop even if it's wrong because I like being seen in that role. I like being seen as the person that everybody goes to. It could even be with our money, with giving our tithes or giving to the poor. We often find reasons not to, right? We'll be like, well, no, they're going to use it in this way. Or no, that guy's going to go get high, right? We look for reasons to justify not to give money, Right? When really the issue might not be that I actually care for that person, but the real issue is, I like my money more than giving it to somebody else. Right? These are, are things that we do. Sometimes someone is asking us for something and we say no, for some kind of mechanical reason, when the real reason is comfort. Right? Where it says, no, I can't sacrifice this for somebody. Right? And I'll have very rational reasons why. Well, if I do that, I can't. I won't be able to do X, Y, or Z, and, and that would be bad. When the real reason, if you're going to be honest with yourself, is you just don't want to, right? You're not comfortable giving. People want time from us sometimes or attention, right? And, and I convict myself of all of these, by the way. I'm not just yelling at you as evil people. I'm guilty of all of the above as well, right? Where we don't want to. Um, we would rather sit comfortably doing whatever it is that we're doing. We often refuse to receive instruction, right? Or I might refuse to humble myself to be told that I'm incorrect, right? Because I value my own opinion and self more, right? These are all different riches. Whatever it is that I value, these are the riches that the Lord would be looking at us to say, give these up for other people if you really want to be my disciple. 
So then how do we combat this, right? The first thing is to realize that our gifts are not our own. Don't see any possession as belonging to you in the first place. Why does poverty exist? Because selfish people exist. It's very simple. There is more than enough riches for everybody. So because someone is saying, I don't want to give, someone else is not receiving. Right? I'm not talking about people who don't want to work, etc., etc., but I'm saying as a concept, right? there shouldn't be poverty if we have a sense that nothing belongs to me personally. And this is what St. Paul said to the Corinthians in that epistle that we read today. He says, And what do you have that you have not received? But if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? But, and he's being sarcastic here, you are already filled. You have already become rich and you have, and you have come to rule apart from us. Yes, and I wish that you would really be rulers that, you might also reign, that we might reign with you. He's saying you're, you're dealing with everyone and everything as though you're God's gift to the planet and not as though actually you're God's gift, you're your own gift to the planet. Right? He's like, so whatever talent it is that you have, you think you're all that in a bag of chips um, because you have it, as though you invented it, right? Whereas which of us invented any gift that we have? None of us in invented being artistic. None of us invented patience. None of us invented music. None of us invented anything. Right? So he's saying, so if you have these gifts, why do you act as though they're not a gift and as though you are the one um, that invented it? So St. Paul was talking to people who didn't want to change their behaviors. They were very showy. The Corinthians were all about show. They were also very rich. Um, they had a guy living among them who was sleeping with his stepmom, and they were all okay with that. Right? They were like, okay, whatever, that's just what that guy does. People just liked this new community okay, of believers but they weren't practicing the truth, right? And that's why St. Paul was rebuking them. So St. Paul first teaches them, then he rebukes them to say, why are you so worked up and excited about your gifts and showing them off as if they weren't gifts? Gifts are received, they're not earned, in the sense that you're not entitled to have them, right? You can't say, oh, I did this, I'm entitled now to this gift. We shouldn't have a sense of entitlement. So first you need to lose that sense of entitlement. You have to realize that you don't own anything. Right? You didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose whether you'd have means or not have means. You didn't choose what gifts you'd have in terms of skill um, or intellect. You didn't choose what arts or sports that you'd be good at. You didn't send yourself to school. You didn't nurture yourself as an infant. There's nothing that you have that wasn't because of someone else, whether directly or indirectly. The only thing you could do was work hard with whatever you were given. And the key word is given. So adopt this attitude and see that God and God through others had and has a role in your life and in making you who you are and getting you where you are. If you have this attitude, you will not be so averse to the truth because you're not going to worship yourself so much, right? Because you've started to think more about others. Once I discover that I'm not always right, right, I should ask the question of, well, what is right? And when you reach this point, great, because now you're able, you're willing to be taught. The Lord taught us what to do, and we look at Him um, and those who He taught, right? The Sermon on the Mount we see as our constitution. You want to know what the truth is? Read the Gospel, right? So how should I behave versus my justifications? Look at the Gospels, look at Christ, look at the Apostles, look at those um, whom He spoke. 
That's why St. Paul says at the end of that epistle, I beg you, like, and he literally says, I beg you, therefore, follow me, right? Not because he's egotistical and he wants people to be him. He's saying it because I learned directly from Christ. He told me to do these things. So I'm doing them because he taught me. So if you want to learn what to do, follow me, follow my example. And that whole epistle, actually, he, he makes a long argument saying, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos, another guy who's preaching. It's about, it's about Christ. It's not my gospel. That's why he gives them a list of how to deny themselves. And this is what we, want, what we need to do. If we want to, to be cured of what the rich kid was, was suffering from, right, then follow what St. Paul says. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Right? And he's saying that because he knows that in a secular perspective, this looks like weakness. Right? To deny myself might look like weakness. We are fools for Christ's sake, but we, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You have honor, but we have dishonor. Right? And so now here, here, listen to these instructions. Even this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are naked, beaten, and we are from place to place. We work hard with our own hands. Right? When people curse us, we bless in return. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are defamed, we try and conciliate. We are made as a filth of the wor world, as the dirt wiped off by all, even until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. Right? So he says, okay, do good works. Right? Don't return evil for evil. Right? Return good for evil. Right? Deny yourself even as Christ did. So the first thing we have to do, if we want to be able to combat these things that we love, is to deny ourselves. Not to pander ourselves, not to praise ourselves, not to self anything other than deny. The second thing was to do good. St. Paul said what good work to do in response to the challenges, and Peter follows up on this and says, for this very reason, do your utmost to add to your faith goodness, right? He's saying don't stop at the whole good master line, right, of just saying he's good, but to add to that line the goodness, the good works. After this, then what? To goodness, St. Peter says, knowledge, right? To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, <coughs> perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love. He gives you a whole sequence, don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them, or you'll be here until next week. Um, but these are the, 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 the rules that he says. He says, for if these things are yours in overflow, they will prevent you from becoming a captive to the world. So after goodness, he said, knowledge. It's okay to start off by simply doing things. That's not wrong, right? Once you know that you need the, the, the faith, once you, you believe, then you do good works. But if you want to be perfect, then you're going to need to add knowledge. The knowledge is what's going to give you the strength to go through the hard times because you know more about the goal. You know more about the means. You know more about the weapons. You know more about the war, right? You know more about everything in general. This is why knowledge... Is, is important. It's not enough to have like a very fluffy um, perspective of things. That's okay if you have a deep measure of faith, right? Where you're not bothered by conflict and by troubles and by challenges. But many of us aren't able to do that. And that's why we do need knowledge, right? Because the understanding gives me an ability to get through it. If I know what the disease is, I know how to face up to it. If I know about the disease, I'll even know what remedies are possible? And if there's not a remedy, it's, it's better to know than to not know. Because then at least I know, well, what can I do at least for my symptoms, right? What can I do to get some relief 
when I'm in it. Knowledge is, is powerful, and that's why it says that we need knowledge. So, add the knowledge. Abuna Lazarus, I don't know if, you've, if all of you have heard of him. If you're not, you should look him up. Abuna Lazarus, um, the Antonian. He's a hermit in the monastery of St. Anthony the Great in Egypt um, and a dear friend to me. Um, he was an atheist philosophy professor in Australia. He's not an Egyptian, okay? Um, and today is a hermit living um, in a cave. When he first converted, he came to faith because of what he saw in a Thomas Merton book in a hospital when his mother was dying from cancer. Um, and eventually has a miraculous occurrence with the Virgin Mary. Abuna Lazarus was and is a brilliant man, right? A professor and not just any professor, a philosophy professor. What allows him to live in a cave today away from the riches of the world and high society from which he hailed? Is it just his faith? No, right? When he was a novice um, and he was trained in Serbia and Mount Athos, he got yelled at lots, right? That's what people do to novices apparently. Um, did he get up and leave? No, he didn't, right? He denied himself. He didn't see himself as entitled to anything, right? He didn't say, how dare you um, talk to me in this way. Whether worth or self-respect, he didn't care. And it's not because he's not do those things, right? Like, like this is where we need to differentiate, right? There's a difference between me seeing myself entitled to these rights, okay, and others giving me that respect, he started off by simply saying, show me what you do, right? Whatever it is that I believe in, you guys know, right? And I'm coming to you to say, give me the knowledge now. Okay, I believe now that there's a God, so what do I do? So he put himself to acquire knowledge to be a disciple. He still didn't know much. So while becoming a monk, he actually also had to learn the gospel, which took a really long time. The knowledge is what helped and helps him today. He knows what or why he's doing things and why he believes. He knows what each ascetical practice is for, and he knows factual information too, right? So this is a man who knows himself. He's a righteous man, and he's also a very real man, just like all of us are real people. So don't tell me that this message is just for those holy folk, right? And I'm not holy. Um, on the contrary, this is the manual for how to become holy, right? This is how you become holy. It's not given to you because you're already that. It's given to you to say, well, if you want to, well, here's how you go about doing it. You see, in following this, you're finding out how to be human, right? And to be human is in the image and likeness of God. In putting on your humanity properly, what you are doing is now working with God. And this is why Peter, St. Peter said today, we become partakers of the divine nature. The more that I participate in salvation with God, the more I become like Him, the more He gives me His own gifts. How did Father Lazarus become a saint? How did Pope Corollas know people's thoughts? How did saints become saints? By being holy, by denying themselves, right? They took this commandment seriously to deny themselves by putting on love because self-denial is love. That's what God is. And when I put on love, I've put on God. That's why, this is why the epistles say, put on Christ. They really mean it. It's not just a figurative thing. By denying myself, I put on Christ. And then I become united to God. If you're worried about the price tag, then you have to go back to step one, which is faith. Okay, do I believe? Right? Do I actually believe in this? Because if you do, our Lord himself consoles you and tells you that yes, there's a price tag. It's difficult, but he says that it's worth it. He says, amen, which means truly I tell you, 
There is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or land for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundred times more in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, with persecutions, right, with, with hardship, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last first. Make your choice of where you want to be first, and may the Lord grant us the strength and wisdom to walk in His footsteps, and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.